This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. (laughs) Now that we've got all of our post-lunch belching out of the way. We'll see. We'll see. No promises. No promises about that. Um, we were just telling a story because we were we were bantering, which is something that happens here before the mics roll. We were bantering. Um, In fact, it really pretty much happens all the time. Absolutely. You guys just hear an hour of it every so often, but it's kind of an ongoing thing. Soupy sales. Are you going to tell the soupy sales story? I can if you want me to. I want you to tell the soupy sales story. Why yes. is that? Because it's a funny story about microphones and doing oh, radio okay. things. There was, he was, there was a comedian, mm-hmm. a pretty famous comedian, and he had a children's show. Always a bad idea. Never really. It's one of those things where having seen soupy sales as a comedian, I'm like, really? A children's show? That seems like an odd fit, but mm-hmm. okay, sure. Yeah. It's sort of like... Um, yeah, the Rodney Dangerfield children's show, you know, like, okay, well, sure. Um, Don Rickles, mm-hmm. children's hour. Um, so yeah, and he concluded the pro- program for the day and believing that the mics were no longer live said, well, that ought to hold the little bastards till next week. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, whatever the interim was. And uh, it was a time when that was not a cool thing to say. Now I think you can say it on a children's show. Right, yeah. They have like the, the bastard children's on, show. Right. They say it on Sesame Street all the time now mm-hmm. or something. But yeah, uh, yeah it's uh, it's not po- it wasn't popular then. And it was kind of the end of Soupy Sales. It was, that was really the end of Soupy Sales? I kind of think it was a, yeah, it was pretty bad. Like, yeah. it was a different world. You remember... Um, Oh, what was her name? Uh, Ingrid Bergman. Mm-hmm. Her got daughter? Pregnant, got oh. pregnant out of wedlock yeah. in that time period. And it just kind of was it for her career. And Jesus. she was a pretty noteworthy actress. I mean, it would be like, wow. And then um, Meryl Streep never worked again. You know, yeah. like, I, I can't even really imagine. Like, I'm really more surprised when they are married when the child is born at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Um I don't feel strongly about it one way or the other. It's a personal choice, but it's but at the time it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. I, Vanessa Redgrave, I think it also happened to her in and around mm. she in and around I think uh Camelot. Mm. She like left her husband for the director or the other way around. I mm. can't remember who and mm-hmm. There was a child. Christopher lost interest mm, in this conversation. I, I just, you know, I, you know, I was just thinking of what assholes people used to be, and then I was remembering what we're going to talk about today, which is proof that as of I think 2011, people were still kind of huge assholes, and, and the world has assholes in it. I'm not sure yeah. that that's really gotten a whole lot better. It's gotten some better. We hope that it's better. Sometimes I think it's better, and then I'm reminded 
that it's not the my favorite example was when President Obama was first elected and everybody was so thrilled and excited and we gay people in California had been were going to be subjected to proposition hate mm-hmm. um which was actually taking away some of our civil rights court granted uh, marriage rights to gay people were taken away by proposition 8 that's correct and uh yeah it kind of licked the rat off our candy it was hard to be as excited as mm-hmm. the rest of the country for this wonderful moment because oh and your neighbors they still hate you yeah and don't want you to have equal rights. Absolutely. It was not happy. So we're going to kind of go back to that time period today as part of our Pride Month celebration, but we think part of Pride Month is about recognizing where we have been and where we have come from as a community. Uh, And about what the struggle is still about in many ways. Uh, This is technically an installment of Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club. We're not going to talk about a murder today. We're not going to talk about a kidnapping or a child abduction. But we are going to talk about a series of things that kind of feel like a crime to us. They were not a crime when they happened, but they would be today. Spoiler alert. Um, Well, it kind of questions what a crime really is. mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and you hear this and it's like, yeah, that sounds like a crime to me, or at least it does to me. I I hope that you will feel similarly. Uh, The documentary we are going to discuss is called Bridegroom. It's available to stream on Amazon Prime and a bunch of other platforms. We want to give our usual disclaimer that True Crime TV Club can be enjoyed by people who have not watched the documentary. Our job is to serve it up for you in such steaming detail that you will walk away feeling as if you did see it. Steaming. I don't know why I say steaming. I don't know. It feels more appropriate when we're doing trashy, re-encraptacular murder shows. And I think today it feels a little off because this is way more serious. Maybe that's it. But yeah, steaming is like, hmm, that seems... Almost a little derisive. Okay. So I'll, I'll move past steaming and into serious detail. Um, bridegroom, all, we gave you all that info. Um, this documentary employs Eric Shaw Quinn's least favorite construction structurally, which is it starts with a big event and then it flashes backwards in time. Did that bother you here? <laughs> Before we get into it. Well, I kind of was aware what we were getting into, so it wasn't, it didn't have kind of the same effect. Mm -hmm. It's a documentary. It was a documentary about something that I was aware of. Right. And so, no, I mean, I'm not sure that it would have worked otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, well, you'll tell the story and then you'll see how it unfolds. But I just think that if you hadn't included that at the beginning, the significance of the rest of what they were going to tell you wouldn't really right. matter as much. Yeah. So we are uh, in Los Angeles at the start of this documentary. We're seeing an apartment building, which I believe we later find out is in the Los Feliz area, which right. is kind of near Hollywood. Which is um, the way we say Los Feliz here in Los Angeles for reasons that I'm not sure of. But, you know, Anglicanized pronunciation. I mean, it's not Los Angeles either. <laughs> so, But I wish it was so that you could say that. every. Could you just say that once on each podcast? Los Angeles. Los Coming Angeles. to you live yes. from Los Angeles. It's yes. like Chile. It's right. Like, so we're going to say Tejas and right. Mexico. No, we're not. So then let's just say Chile. Okay. Okay. um, Back to the documentary at hand. Uh, We are introduced to two um, uh, handsome young gay men. Um, They are texting each other. I think we see some of the text messages. It's clear that one member of this couple, Tom Bridegroom, is going up to the roof of his apartment building. 
His boyfriend Shane says to him, please be careful. The next thing we hear, I think, is a 911 call from someone saying that there's been a terrible accident, that Tom has fallen off the roof of the apartment building. And then I think it's in that moment we cut into the past, and we are going into Shane's backstory, his youth, essentially, in the small town of Kalispell, Montana, which is close to Glacier National Park. Right. Um, We are being introduced to Shane's family. We're getting his personal history. His mom got divorced when he was young. His dad was a wrestler in college who loved hunting. Uh, Shane was clearly not a hunter. When he went on a hunting trip with his dad, he cried when his dad shot a deer. They said every time, so I think they yeah. tried it more than once. And he said, yeah, it was like, Dad just shot Bambi. I just couldn't take it. And right. It, eventually, he stopped taking him hunting because it just wasn't working out for Shane. I think more than – that was sort of my impression of his father was yeah. like, okay, this isn't going to work for you. And right. then they started on sports. And that didn't work either. And he, but he tried everything. Right. He tried baseball in particular, but he wasn't any good at it. He was more interested in theater – uh, that should set off certain, I don't want to call them alarm bells, that sounds homophobic, but no. that's a certain indication of a, of a developing Possibly, person. although I would expect that the same 10% applies to athletes as applies to everybody else. I yeah, expect totally. 10% of athletes are also gay. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think that that's necessarily, but in Shane's case, yeah. because it wasn't in Tom's case, in Shane's case, he was not particularly gifted at sports and was more given to... Um, his theatrical side. In fourth grade, he tells his teachers that when he graduates, he is going to California. So he has already got his sights set on the West Coast. And I think ambitions of being an actor and a performer. Oh, yeah. But there's a little bit more road that they travel in his childhood before we get to that point. A particularly disturbing episode, he watches the movie Philadelphia with his mother. Well, it's interesting. He watches it by accident. His mother Does would he? put him... They, they Apparently, his mom would put him to bed, and he would wait a little bit, and then he would sneak back out and hide behind the chair that she sat oh, in to watch right. the TV. So she hadn't actually intended for him to see Philadelphia. It was maybe a oh, little more grown up okay. than for him. And he saw this gay man... Dying from being gay. That mm-hmm. was what he, that was his takeaway. He was young enough that that's what seemed to him to be happening. Right. It is a result of being gay. He got purple sores on his body and he got paler and wasted away and mm-hmm. was dying. And, and he thought that was because he was gay. Yeah. And uh, he began to have panic attacks, which were so intense he would pick up the phone and he would call 911. This is, interestingly enough, something that we saw depicted in a movie we discussed in a previous episode. Paul Rudd's character who was playing a gay man, a gay adult man, in Ideal Home. Same thing. He would have panic attacks. He would call the 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 ambulance. ambulance And the ambulance would get there and they would find out that it was just a panic attack and they would say, all right, get out. Um, At this point in the documentary... I think they were more compassionate than that, but that was was the takeaway. And it was a comedy. Um, But we've got... The high, this is this is a very powerful documentary. We're going to get into it, but these two, his grandmother and his great grandmother, oh my god, them. they were treasures. They were really like, wow. The great grandmother was just. We're going to get to I a mean, detail about her. That she just was wonderful. just as plain and direct as she could possibly have been. Adorable woman. I would love to be friends with her. She was great. Yeah. So that was Pat. Grandma Pat was Shane's great grandmother. Judy is his grandmother. And they said that when Shane would have a panic attack, they would just put a sack over his head. 
I don't actually think this is recommended anymore for hyperventilation. I think medical experts have come out against this. But I have no idea. The idea was that it you know, restricts the, the, the... When you're panicking, you're taking in too much oxygen, and I think you're not right. letting out any CO2 out. Right. So anyway. Having more CO2, breathing in more CO2 actually is helpful to calm you down a little bit. And so, they were like, when he was at, when he had one of these attacks at our house, we put a sack on him. He hated it. We had to struggle with it. Right. <laughs> We put a sack on his head, by God, because that's what you do. <laughs> that's what we were taught growing up. So mom sends him to a therapist, and the therapist says, um, your son is gay, and he needs to accept it. And kind of it sounds like the therapist implied you need to accept it, too, if you're interested in your son's well-being and mental health. <laughs> and kind of in a great way, his parents were like, okay. Yeah. Like, the, the really, the dad who just said, well, I, I realized I wasn't going to be making any more kids, so I right. better enjoy the ones I had. I thought, well, that's a very practical way to look at it. But they were very um, unmoved by that information. It seemed mm-hmm. like it was like, okay, sure. Yeah. It was like telling him he has brown hair. Yeah. Meanwhile, 1,500 miles away in a little town called Knox, Indiana, we're going to meet another young gay man named Tom. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. <laughs> So 1,500 miles away from Kalispell, Montana, and I should also add that this is not exactly simultaneous because we later learned that Shane and Tom had an age difference between them. Yeah, Tom was actually four years older than Shane, I think is right. So probably a little before, actually, but since Shane is narrating the Mm -hmm. uh, the movie, it would have been um, off-putting not to include him. Yes, absolutely. So we interview um, some people from Tom's past, and we learn that Tom was a popular kid who was described as having a lot of empathy. Uh, Tom's mother and father had children from previous marriages. Theirs was a blended family, but Tom was the only child in the family that was uh, genetically related, that they shared. Um, Tom's dad is described as a simple blue-collar worker, foreshadowing. Uh, his mom took the a keyword being simple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His mom took a job as a janitor so that her son could go to a military academy in town as opposed to the local high school. Uh, Tom's dad was a Vietnam veteran. Tom visited Vietnam as a teenager out of respect for his dad. But ultimately, and this is a bit elliptical, Tom's outspokenness doesn't ultimately work for his father, in the words of one of Tom's friends from his background. Uh, We cut back to Montana, where Shane is growing up. This is a particularly disturbing part of a documentary with, I think, a lot of disturbing things in it. But he develops a crush on his friend Matt. Yeah, this one was really heartbreaking. He writes him a love letter. Um, And they'd been friends for a really long time. Yeah. And he ends up getting a crush on him. 
He at uh, least right, and he sort of explains it in the, the letter. The letter is not well. We'll get to what the letter said and didn't say because that becomes a bone of contention with the community. But uh, he, the but Matt, they're the best friends, inseparable yeah. best friends. And Matt says, um, "I'm not gay, but I'm willing to stay your friend." And then Matt's parents find the letter. And they make a huge issue out of it. They call Shane's parents. They confront him. They act as if the letter was inappropriate or sexually explicit, none of which apparently it was. And they begin to target Shane, essentially. they are Matt's parents are associated with a local church, I think, that everybody involved is a member of. They get Shane disinvited from a church field trip. It's just terrible. They get like him a, barred from attending any sporting events at his high school. Oh, my God. Like, it's just, it, it is really pretty heavy-duty persecution. It was it was ugly. But, frankly, not that atypical. Like, yeah. it, like we are doing better now, amazingly better. But that's been, like, it's the thing. You are not allowed to exist. Mm-hmm. That was the message to gay kids and to gay people until really recently. I mean, kind of shockingly recently. A guidance counselor at my high school, told her stepson not to hang out with me because she thought I was gay. Yeah. I mean, like, it's not as severe as what Shane was put through, but probably just because my mother was famous. They were afraid of her, you know, but, like, all over. Yeah, I think this is still an issue. And they outed him, essentially. Shane had not made these declarations to the community, but by targeting him, his best friend's parents um, violate his privacy. Everybody in the community, and Shane is really pretty much, um, yeah, excluded from everything and attacked and mm-hmm. everything else. His mother describes an episode at a football game where all, Shane is apparently in attendance. So maybe this had been the the ban had been lifted at that point, or, or he was had been put into a factor. Who knows? But but the, she saw the kids were all spitting in a cup, and they were getting ready to pour it on Shane's head, and she grabbed the wrist of the last kid in line and she said, you know, you put that on my son. She was basically the mom that all gay kids want. Yeah, she said she was the mother bear. She turned yeah. into a mother bear in that moment and said, that'll be, you'll have a lot worse problems than mm-hmm. than what you think if you put pour that on my son's well, head. I she was, yeah, she was, yeah. yeah, she was pretty unhappy about it. Shane has a breakdown. He stops going to school. He becomes suicidal. He describes a scene of actually going to his parents' cabin or his mother's cabin or father's cabin and cradling a big rifle on his lap and considering ending his life. But he ultimately decides that that would be unfair to his family. Which it would be. He's yeah. right. But um, but that's kind of a breakthrough for people with in the suicidal mode because they're not thinking of anybody else. Mm-hmm. And if they are, they're mistakenly thinking that those people would be better off if they were right. dead, which is... Of course, never true. Never true. Um, we go back to uh, Tom's uh, young life. We meet his friend Amanda. They attended military academy together. She describes how Tom tearfully came out to her during their time in school. Uh, he uh, She also says she was not the least bit surprised. Yeah, exactly. But Tom is being described as leading more of a double life than Shane. That The community doesn't know about Tom. Because Tom's father is so all about the machismo kind right. of man, Tom is 
like meeting all of the benchmarks. It's the thing I was saying earlier, like Mm -hmm. 10% of athletes are gay too. Like he was a star athlete and went to military school and got all the medals and won all the, you know, citations or whatever you went at military school. Mm -hmm. As you might well imagine, I did not go to military school. You read The Lords of Discipline by Pat Conroy, so you know something about the Citadel. Well, I just realized that that those people would have been in terrible trouble if I had gone to their school because (laughs) if anybody had talked to me that way, it would have yeah. been a lot worse than I that book turned out. I just don't think you would have stayed at that school, I just would Eric. not have put up I with don't it. think you would have well, stayed. Well, I can't even imagine I would have gone in the first place. But the point is, in this case, Tom did go as much to prove that he could and that he was that guy as not. Because they were they said, you know, if you gave him, he would clean your clock. He could beat you up. He was right. not going to be... Uh, taken out by anybody else. He wasn't that guy. He no. was, Mm-mm. you know, he was he was all about singing and dancing and performing and as interested in being an actor as Shane was, but he was also um, more than capable of taking you down, um, yeah. of wrestling you to the ground. So we meet uh, two friends of Tom's from later in life. Sasha, his classmate at Vassar College, is interviewed, and he describes in particular the contradiction between the Tom that he knows at college who is sophisticated and loves classical music and is giving musical recitals and the guy he has to be for his family, who's the stereotypically masculine military captain right. guy, as you just described. He's still that guy, and he's still you know, being outspoken with his father, but he is... He is still meeting his father's standards of masculinity. Um, I don't know if it was – they didn't make it clear. And since he's not included in this story other than as a, narr- a person being narrated, mm-hmm. he's not interviewed, obviously, for the story. So we can't know. But I assume that it was his effort to prove that. Mm-hmm. I don't – you know, as right. much as it was his own interest, he was very much interested in it being clear to people that he was those things as well. Right. Um, but yeah, going to Vassar was, I thought, a really interesting. It was sort, sort of, of an abrupt jump. But we didn't we didn't hear anything term. about what his small town parents thought of him going to this incredibly liberal college because Vassar is that it's and just hanging outside around New York with City. Anne Hathaway. And yeah, mm-hmm. the, the, all of the famous graduates that were around his age group. I mean, he was really he was he was a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, we meet his close friend, Alex, who describes how unjudgmental Tom was of other people. Alex is hearing impaired, and um, uh, she describes how safe she felt being friends with Tom and how supportive he was of her. Uh, she says flat out Tom was worried his dad would kill him if he knew he was gay, if he didn't play this part. Or at we, least that's you know, what she thought he was. I don't know that he actually said that to her. Yeah. But she said she felt like he was afraid that if he came out to his dad, he would kill him. Uh, We go back to Montana and back to Shane's story in August of 2004. After graduating from high school, he gets an opportunity, a scholarship opportunity in town, and he turns it down because he really wants to go to Los Angeles. And this hurts his mom, but she also understands. And his grandmother says she knew he was going to be okay if he could just get to Hollywood. And be with other people like himself. Like the thing that hurt his mom, she was clear about it, was... Not that he was going to California, but that he felt he couldn't stay there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and actually go to the place that he'd gotten the scholarship because it was so miserable for him that he yeah. was so persecuted. He was not allowed to exist there. He really wasn't. Um, we then meet a sort of new cast of characters that are all a lot of grown-ups, really, adults, what looks like a lesbian couple and a, and a gay couple who – uh, Shane either knew or met soon after he moved here right. that helped him establish a life here in Los Angeles. 
Uh, he wanted to be an actor, but after a short while, he decides that's not really what he's passionate about. He gets a job working as a production assistant, which everybody who wants to be in entertainment here does at some point. Right. It was yeah. it was a great sort of gig for him. It gave him a ongoing income, and he was still involved in the entertainment industry. I think he worked at Entertainment Tonight and mm-hmm. Hard Copy and a couple of places like that. Started making a group of friends and beginning to expand his own connection here in town. Right. Uh, And he also makes two friends, I think Lizzie and Chelsea, who decide they're going to set him up with their friend Tom. So they don't tell him it's a fix-up, but they invite him to a bowling alley night. And Tom is there. And Shane's initial reaction to Tom is... It was a meet-cute. It was really romantic comedy. But like he was intimidated. Tom is four years older. That becomes clear now. Um, he thinks he's cocky and confident and Shane feels awkward and doesn't know how to bowl. Yeah, it was totally adorable. It was very romantic comedy. It was a kind of cute meeting and they, he was very sort of reluctant. And then they met again at somebody, some other social event. Right. And it, it's sort of described as they really just hit it off. And the dynamic of their relationship established itself pretty clearly early on, which is Tom was pursuing his dreams of performing. Tom was talented and had a really good singing voice. Um, Shane paid the bills and was sort of nurturing and kind, you know, that I don't want to rely on gender stereotypes. And the but other thing that is, the other things that his friends said of him was that Tom decided that he was that it was Shane. Like mm-hmm. oh, that yeah. there was no the friends were very clear that Tom was gonna have Shane. That mm. was gonna that was happening. It was on and he was yeah. not going to be he was not gonna be too keen on being told no and didn't Turn out to be much of a problem because I loved the quote from Rick Shane's landlord, who was like, you know, an older gay gentleman who said, you know, I'm pretty cynical about relationships at this point in my life, but they had something really special. Yeah, yeah. Everyone seemed to say that. So they started trying to put together what might have been a reality show or a travel show. Uh, this seemed like right on the cusp of the social media era. It was this like was the like late not, yeah. tens. It right. was like the aughts, the right. 2000 aughts. So not uh, 2005, 2006, 2000, along in there. Yeah. So Shane's mom comes out to visit and he officially and finally comes out to her and she says and really introduces Tom as his partner. And she is, of course, as we've been led to expect, very accepting uh, and knows that she can rest easy knowing that Shane will be taken care and of. And tells him, oh, I already knew that. Yeah. And he, she was really glad that there was a, there was a Tom, that she was delighted to meet him. And they were it was very much familial. And then Tom goes to visit his family in Indiana. I was home for Christmas. And he and his mother are watching television, and a lesbian couple comes on. And she begins going off about how disgusting that is. And so he chooses that moment to come out to her. And the results are catastrophic. I mean, at least, yes. It was really an event. She calls his dad, tells him to come home from work. She starts raving about how it's a sin, and he should have told them earlier so they could have gotten medical help. I'm also assuming she involved religion because it sounds like they were a religious family well, as well. They sat down at the table with the Bible yeah. with him that next morning. They accuse Shane of turning him gay. They, they just say all the hateful, bigoted crap that you expect to hear or gay people have come to expect to hear in situations like this. And it culminates with his dad pulling a shotgun on him, ripping the door off the hinges of his room. His mom pulling the phone out of Tom's hand so that he can no longer talk to Shane about what's happening back in California. And the, no, she tells Shane on the phone, we're going to come out to California and gut you. 
direct quote. We'll find hunt you down and got you. That's really, yeah. Like the worst possible case. And part of it, some of the friends thought that he, after he had seen Shane's mom's reaction and Shane's mm. family's reaction, he was hoping for something more resembling that. Yeah. That he would get more acceptance than it turned out that he got. But it was dramatically the opposite of that. Surprisingly, though. Some time passes, and I think what the friends speculate is that Martha, Tom's mother, is basically coming to the decision that if she doesn't take an active role in her son's life, she's going to lose her son. Which is true, and parents should bear that in mind because people are not going to choose you over having their own life. They're just not. Yeah. So she travels out to California to visit them, which sounds like it became kind of a regular thing. She would come out. She would stay in their apartment. She would sleep on the sofa, fully aware they were sleeping in the same bed together in, fact, in the other room. In fact, she insisted on it. Yeah. Um, there's video of her holding their dog on her stomach as she sleeps on their sofa. I couldn't tell if she was asleep or not because they don't show her face. Maybe they didn't have permission to show her face, which is well, foreshadowing for what's to come. You see her hand, so yeah. I think she's participating. I think, and I assume yeah. that it was her son being teasing and carrying on with the dog, but whatever. She's, she is, while Shane says it was awkward at first, they develop a kind of relationship. And yeah. she participates in their lives. No contact with the father, but the mom, Martha, has been you know, out and visited and aware of where they live and been in their home and stayed mm-hmm. over as their guest and that sort of thing. They dream of traveling the world together and they do a lot of traveling together, but they apparently do it on a very uh, shoestring budget. They do not travel the way Eric Shaw Quinn travels. <laughs> I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Shane takes Tom to Montana to meet his dad. And in, <laughs> this was pretty funny. Before he gets to the house, they hide in a closet, Shane and Tom, and then jump out of the closet to surprise his dad. <laughs> so it's like they're coming out of the closet, literally. At his dad's house, to yeah. his dad. But yeah. And the dad says that he really appreciated that um, Tom made the effort, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, be, to have a positive and good relationship with him. There's none of the sort of quasi-religious nonsense that they're getting from Tom's family. It's you know, okay, this is going to be the case and I'm going to deal with it. I I don't know that they're being presented as the most liberal, cutting-edge people in the world. Like, the father was a logger mm-hmm. uh, his whole life. Nothing wrong with that. But, you know, like, he was also a working man, just as Tom's father was. And that, and that to me, was the key. It was, it was these people, these families come from similar backgrounds, and one family had one response and one family had another. It, the response is not indicative of the background necessarily. No. You know what I mean? Like it's a choice to respond to, to this way. Yeah, and it's about whether yeah. or not you love your kid is what I have to right. say about it. And I think that apparently Tom's parents were in love with themselves and with what they thought of, what exactly. other people thought of them in the world. And Shane 
had parents who were actually in love with him. Mm-hmm. This is the point at which the documentarians realize that Grandma Pat just needs a moment. It doesn't really tie oh into God. anything else. But but this is Shane's great-grandmother uh, basically flatly informs the camera that she kills snakes. She doesn't like them. And... <laughs> In one spring, she killed 40 snakes on her property. Yeah, every year she goes out and she's she just doesn't want like snakes. She doesn't want them around the house. She doesn't want them around the house. Out, she also says that um, apparently he did this, but, you know, my memory's not what it used to be, so I have no recollection of that, but apparently that's what happened. He and came I was out like, to her and she says, I don't remember it, but I accept him the way he is. Right. She's not got any problems with it, but she doesn't remember the actual event and it's no big deal for her. Like, they were just glad. But they also went to visit them and Pat gets to be especially good friends with Tom. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Shane is afraid of showing public displays of affection. But they have made this decision to go and see all of the wonders of the world mm-hmm. together. And they start. They've been to the pyramids and they've been right. to the, and they're in, they make a trip to Paris and mm-hmm. they wind up um in Paris in front of the Eiffel Tower and it's just mm-hmm. you know He'd just seen too many movies, and it had to be. So when they get back, he buys Shane a ring for Christmas, and there's a note that says, 2011 will change our lives forever. And they also have added this deal detail either here or maybe earlier in the documentary where they say that Tom didn't wanted to get married when it could be legal. Right. He didn't want some technicality, and they were not interested in the domestic partnership thing. He wanted to marry Shane when he could marry Shane. But they got Tiffany rings for each other. Exactly. Uh, we uh, The Wednesday, we're, we're catching up to the opening of the documentary, which is a sort of sad and depressing thing because we know what happened at the beginning. The Wednesday before that event, he is recording a song with a friend of his called If I Fall. Did you catch that detail? Mm-hmm. I was like, Jesus. Title card on the screen, May 7th, 2011. We've arrived back at the opening. It is the morning that Tom was going over to his friend's apartment building to take pictures on the roof. They have a fight. They don't really tell us what the argument was about, but it is easily mended. And as the day wears on, they're texting each other sweet things. Uh, Tom has gone over to his friend Alex's apartment. He's taking pictures of her. I think she has recently been through a breakup. So they're joking around and she's dressing up in her vampiest clothes and has done her hair up and... Apparently, they were in the habit of going up to the roof of her building to take pictures. There was a view of Hollywood yeah. in the background. And- yeah, it looked like the roofs of one of my buildings that I've lived in here. It was very familiar looking. In fact, I kept thinking when they were up there, my God, are they on the roof of my old building? And They weren't, but yeah. it was so similar. They, um, Shane says to Tom, stay away from the edge of the roof because, as we all know, you're kind of a klutz. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, they're up there. And he says, no, around. seriously, stay away yeah. from the edge of the roof. Don't get close to the edge. I don't want you to, anything to happen to you. So Alex describes the scene in some detail and manages to stay pretty stoic about it until she reaches the end of the story. But she basically says she was near the edge of the roof and Tom was taking pictures of her. And he said, let's reverse. He liked the light better. He liked what was in the background better. It was nighttime, I think. They actually show the pictures from this photo shoot. Yeah. And he is backing up towards the edge of the roof. He starts to lose his balance. Alex says she thinks there's a moment where he's going to recover and their eyes meet and they both make funny faces at each other. And it's like, oh, what a... And then he goes over. 
He goes over the side and he falls four stories. Uh, she runs all the way down, makes it to him, calls 911, but she can't do anything because she is hearing impaired. Right. So all she can do is make the call, but she's not able to hear the response on the other side. She says it takes 25 minutes for the ambulance to arrive there. By the time they get to the ER, Alex is hysterical, and she says she wished that she had been the one to fall because she knows how strong the love between Tom and Shane is, and she knows how devastating this is going to be to Shane. If that weren't enough, when Shane arrives at the hospital, the hospital will not let him see Tom because he is not family. 2011. And, and there's some sense that the family has already become involved because mm-hmm. he calls, Shane calls Martha to let her know that something has happened and it starts to really get wind up on the other end of the phone. His father is screaming. How much was he drinking? drinking and what did you do? And right. They mm-hmm. think Shane is with him. And so Shane just gives his phone to the doctors mm-hmm. and the parents communicate directly with them. So I'm not, com- I'm not unconvinced that they didn't also say nobody else is to see him until we get there. Like I, given the rest of their behavior, that would seem like something they might have said because- you bring somebody to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. I can't see. You know, obviously, you're not going to have the same privilege as a family, but no, they were really hard and fast about it. The family, you can't see them until the until the family does. That was what they said. But some nurses decided they were going to break the rules, and they came and they got Shane, and they said, "We have been trying to make him look." As a, well, I'm sorry, I'm skipping over the, the worst moment of it all, yeah. which is Tom dies. And it, it sounds like he dies shortly after arriving in the hospital. He fell four stories. I don't know how you survived. And was just in a ter- in terrible yeah. state. And yeah, it, it was it was devastating. And the part that was hardest for me was he dies alone. Yeah. Yeah. With Shane sitting in the waiting room. Mm-hmm. Mm. Shane could have been with him in that moment and... They deny him even that. Yeah. Because, you know, it was uh, the Windsor decision was still two years away. Mm-hmm. 2013 uh, would be the Windsor decision that overturned DOMA. We are in 2011. And Tom has even gone on the record as saying he doesn't want them to try to get any sort of uh, marriage agreement of any kind until it's totally legal and it is not yet legal. So some nurses take pity on Shane, and they decide to bring him back. But they say to him, first, we wanted to try to make him look remotely presentable, which sounds like I think ultimately they weren't able to do because Shane describes Tom's face as being covered. Partially covered. Partially covered? Yeah. Is that what he said? The yeah. side of his face is partially yeah. covered and whatever. It it was probably pretty catastrophic, I would think. But mm-hmm. yeah, like they didn't want it to be more traumatizing. And one of the things that they had because they were so reluctant because Shane was so reluctant. I assume Tom indulged him or maybe he was too. Mm-hmm. Aside from that kiss at the Eiffel Tower. Um, right. They were not big on public shows of public affection. So they had devised a system where if they were, you know, in front of other people and one of them wanted to say, I love you to the other one, they would tap on the table three times, mm-hmm. tap three times. And so Shane is there with him. Um, alone in the room and he really can only he can touch his leg mm-hmm. and he taps three last mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. because that's as much as he can mm-hmm. can say yeah 
Oh, boy. Shane's family flies to Los Angeles, and Shane and his dad talk about his sexuality for the first time, which I think, I guess, means, aside from jumping out of that closet with Tom, maybe there wasn't much else said about it directly. I guess not. It was not like there was... It was an unusual detail because it was like, well, he's already stayed at your house with his lover, so I'm not sure... There were a lot of moments like that in this documentary where timelines didn't quite sync up. I'm not really faulting the documentary, but it was like, I'm, I, I've am i lost this thread. Yeah, people would refer to things as having happened, and I wasn't yeah, quite sure I what felt they were like talking about. I that had already about. happened, but they, it, I, in any case, it was the first time they had really talked about it. Like, right. I can certainly understand that, even from my own experience of, while your parents may understand technically that you're gay actually talking with you about it, Mm -hmm. you know, asking if you're seeing anyone or... Talking about the nature of the relationship. I bet that's what they were talking about. I think that's really more true because it was such an important moment for him. He had just lost the the love of his life. And and so I think that was why it might have engendered more conversation about it. But for whatever case, it drew his father closer to him. And then Martha shows up, Tom's mother. Well, at first, that doesn't seem like it's such a bad thing. Right. Uh, it's, uh, But she is laser-focused on Shane, on Tom's belongings in the apartment, right? She's going through doors, drawers, excuse me. She wants access to his computer. She's asking about bank accounts. She is, uh, you know, and, and Shane is trying to be as agreeable and as accommodating as he can be, given the situation. But she is also saying... That So apparently an autopsy has to be done, given the nature of how right. Tom died. So until the autopsy is done, the body cannot be released to the family. And she stays with Shane. And she stays with Shane. And they're talking about, yes, we're going to have a service for Tom in Indiana. Everyone will be included. You will fly out. We'll keep you posted about all the plans. We want you to be a part of it. She's saying this to his whole family, not just to, to Shane, but to his parents as well. Yeah. That there's this whole sense that they will all be, as a family, come together to say goodbye to Tom. And then there's a moment of foreshadowing where she is packing up her suitcases and she is packing up the clothes that she wants to bury Tom in. And the jacket will not fit. So Shane says to her, just give me the jacket and I'll bring it out east with me when I come for the funeral. She says, no, 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 I got it. I've got it. We'll make it fit. She will not accept this offer from him. And Shane says, in retrospect, given what follows... That was his first real warning sign. He drops her off at the airport. She promises to keep him updated. He never hears from her again. Again. Ever. Shane and his family are flying east for the funeral. While they are on a layover for a connecting flight, they get a call on his cell phone from a relative of of Tom, excuse me, who says Shane is not welcome at the funeral because if he shows up, his father and his uncle, Tom's father and uncle, are planning to literally attack him. And we know the, this father is capable of doing this. He ripped the door off the hinges of Tom's bedroom and pulled, and pulled a, gun a shotgun on him, yeah. on him when he came out to the family. And so there's actual concern that if Shane shows up at this funeral, he'll die. Yeah. They make it to Indiana. Alex, the friend, says exactly what you just said. She's terrified for Shane's She's life. She's already lost Tom, and she doesn't want to lose Shane. So they may, they meet at a secret location and they try to come up with a plan for how Shane can get as close to the funeral without going inside the church. I must have, I'm not sure how this plan played out. 
Like, did did he actually go somewhere near the church? He does not attend the funeral. No. He does not. Nobody from uh, Shane's family or his traveling party attends the funeral. Well, they weren't welcome and they didn't go. But yeah, I think he was outside the church at the time of the service. And then, you know, obviously when other people have left the graveyard, I guess they could go then. Right. After everybody else is gone. But there is, but they are not included in any details. Some of the mutual friends from Tom's family and friends who've attended, because what the family did apparently was they had the funeral as though Tom had died while he was still at the military school. They didn't include any of the rest of his life because that was the part they were trying to erase. So everybody who spoke or participated was up into that point. Mm -hmm. But the friends who were there who knew the rest of Tom's story and the picture of his whole life, like saved the program Save some of the flowers that were left on the... Um, Amanda, his friend, kissed the casket on behalf of Shane. And that, said, Shane know. loves you. Yeah. Like, as, you know, like, they they did what they could to participate in those moments. But, yeah, it was, it was brutal. It was, you know, and again, because there was no... He had no rights. Mm-hmm. They would have been married. They had been together for six years at this point. So mm-hmm. they would have been married. They had exchanged rings. It mm-hmm. was only the government that had prevented them from being together. And it was because of that, that he was not allowed to see his partner, to hold his hand while he passed Mm. or to attend his funeral and had no rights um, in this moment of their life. That was a gift from the government of the United States of America. Mm -hmm. So Tom's friends gather for their own memorial service in Los Angeles uh, Shane includes pictures of the family, even though they didn't include him. Um, because that was Tom's life. He yeah. included the pictures of all of Tom's life. In fact, mm-hmm. one of the things he said was, as much as he disagreed with his father, he still loved him very much. Mm-hmm. Because he was his father. So Shane um, travels and grieves. And then a few months later, he goes back to Indiana to see Tom's grave for the first time. And he sees that Tom's parents bought him a monument and sandwiched it between their own future gravestones. Their gravestone, even so though that he could a... never be buried next to him. Yeah. Oh God. Because they're that. I mean, wow, that's pretty deep hatred. That's yeah. really, that's really contemptible. And he yeah. says the thing that he said that I love the best. This is not the monument to your son. He was the monument to you. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was a better monument to who those people were than they were than they were able to be for him. That was just it was just all of the worst of this story. It was, it was just everything that was wrong it, oh, with that, that whole period. second class oh my God. as Ruth Bader Ginsburg called it, that whole skim milk mm-hmm. idea of marriage that gay people were offered for you can't have the real thing because you're not good enough and you shouldn't really exist, but we'll let you have yeah. this part of it. I just it was so upsetting to go back in time in this way. And it wasn't that long ago. That was the thing. Really not that long ago. That's why I always say that. Eight years yesterday. Mm Mm-hmm. This is where the Windsor decision at June 26, 2013 first air on the 27th. So it's the day. Part of the reason we chose this was in tribute to that particular anniversary eight years ago. And I think only a couple of years. I can't remember the date when the Supreme Court ruled that you can't be fired from your job Mm -hmm. for being gay. Like, that's really only, like, maybe three years ago. Yeah. Like, we're really just getting started. So let's, 
you may have heard of this story and not seen this documentary because the thing that inspired this documentary was right. that Shane posted a YouTube video, I believe, called It Could Happen to You or This Is What Happened to Me. It was something, something titled Something along that. those lines. It went viral. I remember it at the time. It went viral. He told the whole story of what these parents were able to do to him because there were no marriage rights and he had no protections in the eyes of the law. It got millions of views, and the Kickstarter campaign was started to fund this specific documentary. And Linda Bloodworth Thomason was the writer produced, and producer. Produced of and directed it. Yeah, it was yeah. really it was caused caused celeb, but it was also very much a part of that movement yeah. in that moment because we were fighting um, the prop hate um, mm-hmm. uh, bill in in the courts and. The Edie Windsor thing was winding its way through the mm-hmm. court system. You know, another yeah. case of this woman who had lived with her partner all of their lives together, and then she was not entitled to any of her partner's estate at the mm-hmm. time of her death. And, like, why not? Because mm-hmm. this stupid law that was, yeah. yeah, it was really the defense of marriage. Really? How is that a defense? Oh, my God. The know. Assault on Marriage Act is what it should have been called. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was about the that particular moment in time. That that thing I was talking about at the beginning. It was why that was such a brutal moment when every the country was celebrating this civil rights landmark of Barack Obama being elected our president, and we were being told, "No, your neighbors still hate you. You still mm-hmm. you still suck." Back in the right. closet. Back in the closet with you, if you can't you, exist. If you don't know, I don't know how young our average listener is. I always sound like grandpa <laughs> when I say this. This was the so a court decided in the state of California that it was unconstitutional by our state constitution to deny marriage rights to gay people. This decision opened, and I'm leaving out the Newsom prologue in San Francisco where he just gave out marriage licenses because he was like, this is a stupid, horrible law. That's a separate chapter. But this court decided when Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor of California that we were allowed to have marriage rights. So there was a window, which everybody knew might be temporary, where people rushed out to get married, gay couples rushed out to get married, and it was legal. Yeah, and we had friends who got married. Prop 8 was a ballot initiative largely funded by the Mormon Church and other religious groups. And the Catholics. Yeah, from outside the state that basically repealed those rights that had been granted by a court decision. So on on election night 2008, when Barack was also when we were voting on a lot of ballot propositions here in California, that's when Prop 8 went into effect in validating that court decision. And so then the next waiting period, if I remember remembering this correctly, was that Prop 8 itself had to go, a lawsuit was brought against Prop 8. It had to go to a federal a court of appeals, the circuit. It went to a district, a federal district yeah. court, and then it went to a court of appeals, and then it went to the Supreme Court. I think that was the order. And it lost every single time. But the loss of Prop 8 at the Supreme Court is not what granted marriage rights no, across the because land. because what happened at the Supreme Court with Prop 8 was no, there was nobody of standing to actually defend mm-hmm. it. The state, by that point, had moved on yeah. and declined to defend the law. They were perfectly happy I don't happy think the for, state ever no, was going I don't to defend that. I don't think so. Even Arnold Schwarzenegger, even when we had a Republican yeah. governor, there was no stomach for right. defending that kind of, legis- uh, I don't know, uh, Ballot initiative bigotry. Ballot bigotry, right. Um, yeah. 
So I uh, so we never really defended it. It kept losing because they would bring in these crackpots to mm-hmm. say stuff that they could not substantiate or prove that somehow it weakened marriage. I I just don't understand how people getting married could weaken well, marriage. It, it was but... the first time that I remember that all of those crazy, stupid arguments actually had to be put to a legal test. Where you're right, and nobody would defend them. There was no science. There was no data to prove that straight marriages were going to go down or fall apart. If you anyway, it's just ridiculous. And so what yeah. happened at the Supreme Court was they said, well, then, no, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, all the rest of the rulings stand and this is, this, this law is unconstitutional or, or can't be. So it just went away. It right. didn't, it didn't have the precedent that made it okay for everybody else to marry that, ha- to get married for other gay people to get married. It just meant that Proposition 8 could not be a law. Exactly. You couldn't, basically that what they were saying without saying it was, you can't pass a law to take away somebody else's civil rights. That's just not happening. Nobody has presented us with any evidence yeah. that would suggest that. So we agree with the lower court rulings that, no, this is not, that you can't do this. But then the the Windsor case. The Windsor case is what. And so but, but what, what those lower court rulings were doing was there was this patchwork of you could get married in this state, you could get gay married in this state, but not this state. But I used there to was keep this count. anxiety of right. But there was this anxiety of your marriage in California. If you if you you got in a car accident in Montana, you know, your marriage may not protect you in that state. And you can't go visit your spouse or so whatever. What was needed was the repeal of the Defense of Marriage Act, which was a federal law, which was preventing gay marriage in all right. the states. And when that was struck down by the Windsor decision, as you just said, that's when gay marriage became a law. That was really, line. that was when we posted, yes. I just want to fucking dance. And and Eric actually left the house to go to a rally, which he hasn't done. <laughs> Eric, is, Eric is very politically active and outspoken, but marching up and down the street for, you know, we just, there was dubious no, organizers we gathered, is not Yeah, we just yeah. all gathered in the park to celebrate. It was, the, I think I also did that for Prop 8. I think there was, yeah. I think both of those times, it was just like, yeah, this is mm-hmm. this is too big a deal. It too was, big. It was really, that's the most significant civil rights thing that has happened for gay people in my whole life Mm -hmm. and it was eight years ago yesterday the 26th of june 2021 Mm -hmm. that's that's the date right yeah Um, it was yesterday's date from the first airing of this particular podcast and and it would have two years later it would have changed this whole story Mm -hmm. these young men would have been married and while it would still have been a horrible tragedy it would just have been a horrible personal tragedy it wouldn't have been compounded by the young man being excluded from his own partner's funeral or hospital room or Mm -hmm. life um, by the laws of the country in which he lived and paid taxes and was supposed to have equal rights under the law so I think that history lesson is the perfect way to wrap up our Pride Month run of episodes. This is our last really, June yeah. episode. We'll so. still be proud every other month, but this Always was the month proud. to celebrate. And, and we still do. If this is your first time listening to us, this is not the end of gay stuff on TDPS Presents Christopher well, and Eric. We'll we still be on gay. the show. So Eric that, will still be talking with that fabulous be, voice of his. So yeah, that's not going to, I, that's not really going to dry up, but we wanted to take special note because it is Pride Month. And, Absolutely. And since we can't do because of the COVID thing, we haven't been able to do a lot of the other stuff we typically do to mm-hmm. celebrate 
on Pride Month. Not us necessarily, but other people. I don't. <laughs> you know, that's going outside again. You didn't go yeah. outside. Before I, I was not COVID. big on going outside before this. <laughs> yeah. So that's not necessarily me, but Pride in general. So we wanted to have our own sort of Pride celebration here, and and we thought that while that wasn't a typical entry in the true crime, it was a uh, crime TV experience. This was very much a crime what was committed done against to Shane these people. Was a crime. Was a yeah, crime. Absolutely. Who is now happily with happily married or happily in a relationship yeah, with an American Idol contestant. They met, Shane married. was working backstage on the show and they met on the show and recently declared their love for each other publicly. So good for Shane. So good for Shane. And I'm sure he's still sad and misses Tom, but I'm yeah. glad to know that he has found love and a life that, um, that he can enjoy. Next week, head to the beach with us for a July 4th True Crime TV Club. Miami Beach, that is. This is totally unscripted right now, what I'm reading. We're but so- he's still looking at his, pa- his, his pad. <laughs> no, like the, I actually, Miami Beach, Like his actually words. <laughs> We're serving up an episode of a True Crime TV series called A Time to Kill, Season 1, Episode 5. The episode title is A Miami Murder Mystery, and it's available on Discovery+. Plus. And there is a John Grisham movie also called A Time this to Kill. This is not this that. This is not that. This We're not is doing not that. Please a... don't watch A Time to Kill and then complain in our direct messages that you watched the right. wrong thing. We sa- We're saying it out loud right now. This is a series called A Time to Kill, and this is not called. This is a Miami murder mystery, which is uh, season one, episode five. Uh, we'll be watching on Discovery Plus, which is our favorite new streaming app because Absolutely. of, you know, uh, Rock the Block and other such oh, delightful yeah. Rock diversions. The Block and, and all of the uh, re craptacular stuff we talk about on True Crime TV and Club. And Nate and Jeremiah. Nate and Jeremiah, your we favorite. We need to do more shows, Nate and Jeremiah. Why are there no gay people doing renovation shows? <laughs> on, uh, there's a new renovation show on um, on HGTV right now called uh, Bargain Block, and it's mm-hmm. not available. And they're on, gay. And they're they're, g- it's a gay couple, and it's not available on, on Discovery+. Plus. Plus. That has to be remedied. There needs to be more gay makeover shows. I don't mind the other ones, too. Everybody does makeover, but my God, if you... Don't, not, not makeover is like makeup and clothes. You mean a f- house flippers. renovation renovation shows, right? House renovation shows. Yeah, yeah. like if there if you can't find enough gay interior decorators to put mm-hmm. together a few more shows with gay people in them, <laughs> call me at home. I'll 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 hook you up out of my own personal directory for God's sake. Absolutely. Meanwhile, meanwhile, next week a Miami murder mystery. It's an episode of A Time to Kill, season one, episode five, and of course with True Crime TV Club, you never are obligated. to to watch the episode because we're going to serve it up for it. Can I go back to steaming? Can I go back to steaming? I think detail? this is a very steamy this one. This is a steamy one. This is a steamy one. Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. We're proud of you. Thanks. This is TDPS.